Good morning. John outlived the rest of the disciples, the rest of the apostles, by almost a half century. Uh, Peter and Paul died sometime during the 60s A.D. John lived and ministered in Ephesus. We know that he was there from 70 to 100 A.D., the final witness. He wrote this letter while in Ephesus toward the end of the first century. He lived during a time when more and more individuals were claiming to be able to speak for God. And he begins his letter by clarifying why he should be taken seriously as one who spoke for God in a unique way, in a way unlike those in his times who claimed to speak. What it says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Um, I'm going to read the first part of that and just notice how many times you hear we, us, and our. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. John, when he uses these these words is most likely thinking about those who were along with him who were eyewitnesses of Jesus' earthly ministry. By this time, all of them had passed away. They had fallen asleep by that time and had been dead in Christ and with the Father for decades by this point. Um, John is the last living apostle. And as such, he is in a Unique way, the final witness. He says that which was from the beginning. When the Bible uses that, it's that which comes not just from the dawn of time, from before recorded time. And so what John is pointing out is that Jesus existed eternally before becoming a baby in Bethlehem. But he enlarges on that which was from the beginning and which existed eternally. And he talks about verbs of hearing and seeing and touching. Uh, Whatever John's message is in this epistle, in this letter, his basis for writing lies in the same conviction that he voiced in the gospel, which he said the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And what John is saying is that he was an eyewitness in an age where all kinds of people spoke for God. John is in a completely different class. He heard, saw, and touched Jesus. The word made flesh. 
Psalm testimony following event that was witnessed by one or two, it really needed two, two or three people, is what the Old Testament of the Bible identifies as proof positive. So when John writes, we have seen and testified to it, he is not just making an observation. He is swearing a deposition. He's saying, you can believe what I'm saying because I was there. I I touched and tasted, I saw and felt. Um, John talks about that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. A lot of people at John's time were claiming to have had a vision of Jesus. And the vision was to their soul within. They didn't really see him, but they had a vision in their soul within, and they would come forward and say, this is what Jesus told me to tell you. I had a vision, and I saw this vision, and Jesus appeared to me. And what John is saying, no, 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 no. We didn't just see Jesus with our soul within. We saw him with our eyes. This wasn't a hallucination, and it wasn't a vision. We saw him heard him, touched him, and in that sense, our encounter with Jesus was real and physical, and he was the last one who was able to make this kind of claim. He talks about which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. John goes to say, we had physical contact with him. When Jesus rose and he appeared to the disciples, he said, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And what Jesus invited them to do, don't just believe on the basis of seeing, touch me. And the disciples were those who had opportunity to verify Jesus, not just by seeing and hearing, but by touching. This would have been really significant at the time. There were people coming out of the woodwork with a message from God, which leads to a couple of questions. How can you tell who is and isn't his messenger? How can you tell who speaks for God and who doesn't? Those are good questions. Um, we deal with this in a way in our day. There's, it's fairly common, I hear it, people getting a word from God. And a word from God could be from Scripture or it might not be from Scripture. And Hear people say, I have a word from God. In fact, I talked to uh, a young man who was at a retreat, and he, um, at this retreat, he um, had individuals coming up, and they said, God told me to tell you something. God t- going to tell that you, you were going to be a youth pastor. And it's easy to claim to speak for God. Now, did they speak for God or did they not? Hard to say, isn't it? How can you tell somebody who speaks for God and, and somebody who doesn't? It's easy to, but it's also dangerous. Paul warned Timothy about this problem in his last letter. Here's what he said. It's not in your worship folder. Just listen. Paul, he said, the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And what Paul was saying, the time will come when people will not will gather around them a number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And he warned Timothy, you better start to speak now because it will there'll come a time when people will believe all kinds of people. Jesus targeted those who claim to speak for God but who in fact 
misrepresented him. I'm going to read a couple of verses. They're in your worship folder. Um, what John says in John 3, and he says in John 9, seems to contradict what he says in John 3. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the in the name of the only Son of God. So what it says, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He didn't come to judge it. But now listen to this. For judgment, I came into the world. Wait, wait a minute. I thought you just said you didn't come into the world for judgment. But here he says, and it's the same word, I came into the world for judgment. And so we got on, wait. But what kind of judgment? Let's see what it says. Um, that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard him, heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would be, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Jesus did come to judge, but not the world. Jesus came to judge those who claimed to speak for God who said, I see, I understand who he is. I have heard from him. Where Jesus came to judge that person, not the normal everyday person who deals with issues and, and doesn't claim any special revelation. Jesus came to identify those who claim to represent God. He says, those are the ones I have issues with, and those are the ones I have come to judge. Which Jesus understood, those who claim to speak for God have an impact on those who rely on hearing from their mouth. And therefore, if Jesus cares for the sheep, he cares for the shepherds who speak to the sheep, but who don't really reflect the chief shepherd. Jesus had huge issues with that. Um, and he had some very harsh words. This is what he said. It's not in your worship. Listen to this. Jesus told the story. And what you're going to hear Peter say, oh, ooh, by the way, is this story about everyone or is it just about the individuals that have been selected to be your mouthpieces? And what Jesus, you listen to what Jesus says. Here it is. He says to his disciples, be ready. Be dressed, ready for service. Keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good, Jesus said, for those whose servants, for, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth. He will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, here's <clears throat> clarification, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Because who are you talking to? Are you talking to everyone? Or are you talking specifically to us? He felt the weight of it, and then Jesus went on. The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants 
to give them their food allowance at the proper time. You know what he's talking about? Not the servants, but the individual who receives goods from the master of the house to give to the servants. He's talking, and this would be called the steward. So what the owner of the house would do is give goods to the steward, and the steward would give them to the servants. And in Jesus' estimation now, he sees the apostles as stewards. He says, I am giving you a message. It's your job to give this message out and to faithfully say what I told you to say. And Peter feels the weight of that, because there are those then who say, I've been given something to give you. But Jesus didn't give it to that person. And this person gives it to the servants, and they think it's from God, and Jesus takes that. So anyways, he goes on, and he says, it will be good for that servant whose master finds Doing so when he returns, I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant and the steward says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the men's servants and maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. So he says, you know, so what will happen to the guy who uh, masters off, owner of the house? He gave me this stuff to give, but you know what? I don't want to give it to the servants. I think I want to get loaded. And, you know, they've been acting up, so I think I'll flaunt my authority, and I think I'll whack them around a little bit. You know, whack them around a little bit. That'll help them. Um, The master of that servant will come on a day when the steward does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. Listen to this. Again, it's really strong language. I don't know exactly what it means. And it's talking about the steward now. The housemaid, this is what it says. He will cut him to pieces. And assign him a place with the unbelievers. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And you know what Peter said, Lord, are you speaking to everyone or to us? And you know what Jesus answers? I'm speaking to you, stewards. Those who apostles were called to give this message out. And he put a weight on them that the stewards were meant to bear. Uh, God chose to have a witness and to communicate through witnesses, and he chose to have a witness live until the end of the first century. John, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, Woman, behold your son. John took Mary into his home. John was the one who cared for Jesus' mother until she died. He outlived Mary, and then he lived through the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. The other apostles has been dead, had been dead for probably a decade, a decade and a half. But John was alive and understood what happened in Jerusalem and lived through that. John lived through the transition of the church from Jewish to Gentile hands. In the beginning, the leaders of the church were Jews, but then gradually it got passed over into Gentile hand. John was there to see that transition occur. John's writing feel different than Paul's, don't they? If you read the letters, John's letter feels different from Paul's letter. Paul um, is dealing with the threat from Judaism, but by John's time, the threat that Judaism constituted wasn't as great. 
Jerusalem had been sacked in 70 AD, there were other problems on the horizon that Paul did not deal with, but John did. Um, the church had become increasingly concerned with heresy. And what the, what the church was trying to do, tack down what do Christians believe. And why were they doing that? Because all kinds of people were coming forward saying, God told me to tell you that this is what he wants and this is. And so there were all kinds of truths flying around. We, we have the sense that the early church was pure like a mountain spring. You know, that, you know, there's rain up in the mountains and it, very pure when then it gets polluted over the years. And so here we are at this point where we have to drink from <clears throat> things that have been passed from things to things. But the early church, it, it wasn't pristine. It was a mess. And it was a mess early on. Um, they tried to tack it down, but what ended up happening? And this can happen. They became so concerned with being correct that it felt like lifeless. So we believe the correct things, but there's no life to it. There's no joy. There's no love. There's no life to it. That's what ended up happening. Uh, and some were saying, is this all there is? We just we believe the right stuff, and we hang on to it, and then we just kind of bide our time, and then we, we die and go to heaven someday, and, and people wanted, there's, there's got to be more than that. Passionate voices emerge, claiming to have heard from the risen Christ had messages, and they breathed life into the church. They talked about things that made people feel good. But you know what ended up happening? The, fo- the focus shifted from is it true to how does it feel? How does it make you feel? And if it worked, if it kind of jazzed you up and you felt like obeying, then it was, oh, yeah, that's from him. That's from him. So it moved from, is it true, to does it work? Um, you know where religion became? An, an addiction. What an addiction is? It's a relationship with a mood-altering experience or substance. That's what an addiction is. It's a relationship with a mood-altering experience or substance. That's kind of what happened with religion. The individuals who came forward claiming to speak God were very charismatic, very popular, very appealing in a number of ways. And the, but they, but there wasn't as much discipline in the in the Jewish world. You had to sit under a rabbi for decades in order to be a spiritual authority. But in the Gentile world, that wasn't necessary. Anybody could be a spokesman for Jesus. All you had to do was to get a message from him. And everybody, a lot of people had messages from him. Um, You didn't have to devote yourself to study. You didn't have to have firsthand contact with Jesus. Um, John did, though, want to return individually. He says, hey, let's get back to basics, can we? Now, here's the deal. I heard from his mouth, and I touched him from my hand, with my hands, and I saw him with my eyes. And if you're going to want to know what God says, you're going to want to know what Jesus said. Because Jesus reveals God, and Jesus spoke to individuals. 
John says, and I am one of them, and I remember what he said. And if you look in the Gospel of John, in the middle chapters, what do you find? If it's a red-letter edition, you're flipping through, and then all of a sudden, all this red explodes off the page. Whose Gospel is that? John, from John 12 to John 17, it's all red. It's all the words of Jesus. That's what John brings to the church. He helps us to understand what Jesus said, because Jesus is the word of life. And what he says is what God says. Um, John writes in order to help them to know the truth, but he is concerned that there's something to it. It's not just, that's what he says, he indicates the purpose for writing. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. There's two purposes that John has in writing. One has to do with vertical connection, and one has to do with horizontal connection. And, and those two are two of his purposes, vertical and horizontal. He says the, per, the first purpose is vertical connection. It says, so that you two may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so what John is saying, he revealed himself to us, John says, and then by connecting with us and remaining in the words of what we have said, Jesus said, you have fellowship with him because connecting with him we're connected with him so if you want to connect with him john says you connect through us so he his purpose is to allow individuals to have vertical connection not just with the feel-good thing but with the actual things that jesus said jesus spoke on god's behalf in a way that no one ever has and what John claims, I heard him, and I saw him, and I touched him. If you want to know what God says, John says, you want to know what I tell you Jesus said. Because he is the one who speaks for God. That's what John indicates. Uh, that's the first purpose, is so that they could connect with God by connecting with him. Jesus said, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. There is an exclusiveness with Jesus. All roads don't lead to God. The road that leads to God leads through Jesus. And therefore, it's understanding what Jesus said and understanding what those who were with him said is necessary in order to connect with God. The second purpose is horizontal, so that our joy may be complete. He adds a consideration that he wants their joy to increase, that there is some life to it. It's not just sterile orthodoxy. He wants there to be something to it. Uh, vertical connection is the root. Horizontal connection is the fruit. In Ephesus, it seems what was happening, these problems, problems connecting this way, were creating problems connecting this way. Look what it says in First John, we'll get to this, but I'm just look at it ahead of time. John writes, God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, 
so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You know what John is dealing with? He's dealing with individuals who are claiming to have heard messages from God. And you know what they're doing? They are so busy getting these messages from God and being spiritual that they have no time to love people. And it's not these people who live 10, 20 miles away. They're people who live in their community. These are individuals within the church that are starting to believe some things that cause them to pull away from the church and try to pull others with them. And they are having this kind of influence. You don't really need to care about those who are sitting next to you. If you were really spiritual, what you would do, you would do what I do. Spend a lot of time trying to tune Christ in to listen to him. And sometimes he will speak to you in a vision, and sometimes he'll speak to you in a dream, and, and Jesus speaks. And, and so what you need to do is try to get a word from God. You need to try to get God to talk to you. And what was happening, they were so busy trying to get God to talk to them. You know, they would do this and that, and do this obedience, and do this thing and that thing, trying to tune him in, that if you had a need, I'm, I'm, I'm really... So sorry to hear, Brian, about what happened, but, you know, I'll be too busy being spiritual to help. You know, I have to do all these things to keep my bandwidth going. So that's what was happening, and these people were having needs right in the same living room. And that's what, and they were saying, and the reason why I need to tune him in is because I love him. And what John ends up saying, no, you don't. No, you don't. God is love. The way God acts, he comes down and enters into the lives of people. He doesn't stay away in a spiritual place. He enters, and then those who represent God do what he does. They enter. That's what John is. He wants them to understand what Jesus says so that they can get that connection thing, and they can be confident of it. Because if you're confident of connection, you don't always have to be dialing it in. Do you understand If you show me a child who is in a place where there's all kinds of interesting things, and that child, naturally to begin with, if the place is strange, the child is going to stay by the parent. But eventually, if the child trusts in the connection to the parent, if they know that the parent is going to be there, you know what the child's going to do, it's going to explore. That's how we know that a child has some security in the relationship with the parent. Someone who is secure can explore. They can look around. Again, I told you the story. I remember I was in Toys R Us, and Gavin was in there, and he was just he was flying around and looking at the stuff, and I was behind him, and I remember seeing this. He, he had been kind of going down, and I was behind him, but then I saw him. Do this. And so from your perspective, I'm with you. And I saw him go. And I saw him kind of freeze. And it kind of dawned on him that he didn't know where I was. And this is what he did. Turned around, saw that I was there. And what did, what did he do then? Zing, 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 zing. 
if he had stayed on me and if he just had been continuing to look at me and, and hoping that I didn't go, that's not a sign of security. It's a sign of insecurity. If you've been there for your kids, what they'll be able to do is leverage that sense. My dad's going to be there. My mom's going to be there. I don't have to stay on their coattail. I don't have to have them. Do you love me now? 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 I don't have to keep on saying it. You, you show me now. Show me now. If if you need to have all this proof, then it it's not. It doesn't show a lot of security. How do you know God loves you? There's some individuals who need proof all the time. And again, we all deal with things. You know why you can put your confidence that God loves you? John was there. And he heard him. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He heard it from Jesus' mouth. And he wrote it down and it was copied so that we can base our faith not in how we feel, but in what he says. That's a different basis, isn't it? I don't know about you. My life goes up and down. There's things look good, things look bad. And if my faith is tied to what I see in my life, my faith goes up and down. Or what if faith is based on feelings? We don't always feel good about being Christians. Sometimes we feel lousy about being human. And if our faith is tied to what we see or how we feel, our faith goes like this. But what if if your faith is tied to what he says. You're going to go up and down, but you know what you're going to be able to do in the midst of those ups and downs? At some point, you're going to know in a deeper place, and again, this doesn't come at once. I might feel kind of up and down, but at some place deep inside, I know that he'll never fail me or forsake me. He'll never cast me adrift, and he'll never leave me behind. And that provides a sense of security, even in the midst of turbulent things. That's what John wants them to understand. He's contending with those who are so busy trying to prove how spiritual they are. And the reason why they're trying so hard to be spiritual is because they're secure. They're not secure. They need to prove all the time. And that's what John's trying to rescue them from. Um, John wrote, in Revelation, about the church in Ephesus. Look what it says in Revelation 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently, and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned your, the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. How do we lose track of our first love? What ends up happening over time Our faith is rooted less in what he says and more in how we feel and what we see. And our faith becomes a little bit either rigid and orthodox. We believe the right things, but there's no joy in it. Or it becomes so emotional that it's very unstable. You find your way in the middle. That's what John's letter is going to help us to do. He's going to tell us things 
that will root our faith deeply in what Jesus says. He'll give us an idea of the signs and evidences for connection. And the reason he wants to do this is to increase our security in our connection with the Father. Because as we understand how secure this is, our vertical connection, it will increase our ability to connect with one another. This is the root, and this is the fruit. The reason why we do communion is so that we can base our security, and Jesus knows it, in what he said, but in a ritual and in something that brings us back. How do we know that God loves us? But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And again, the promise is this. If you understand why Jesus came, and if you believe in him, that he is sent by the Father to express himself to the world by believing you have eternal life and will not be condemned. You have passed from death to life. You say, Mike, but Mike, I don't feel it's not about your feelings. It's about what he says. And God would have us transfer our trust from what we see to what he says. That's what John's purpose. That's why communion. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go get the bread and get the juice. These are physical things. I think Jesus knows that we need to touch things sometimes. I don't hear his voice, but John has recorded what he said, and we have the opportunity to take juice, touch bread, and think of the fact that Jesus really did come. He was able to be seen and touched. He said things. We know what those things are because we have witnesses, and we have a final witness, and we're going to listen to his letter. By believing what he said, we are assured that one day, We won't be touching bread. And we won't be drinking juice. These are physical elements. We will connect with Jesus one day. You believe in him. He is at the presence of the Father. He came to earth and entered a womb. He came as a spirit and he went back as a spirit in a body. He went back in a different form than when he came, right? He came as a spirit, came within Mary's womb, was born, that whole thing, and then when he went back up, he went physically. These elements are Jesus' signs that one day you are going to be able to touch him. That real, he'll be that real, and heaven will be that real. On this side, we have to put our faith in what he said. But we have reliable witness concerning what he said. So get the elements and think of who they represent and what believing in him will allow. We're going to be with him a thousand years from now. And ten thousand years from now. And those who have died and believe in him are already with him. Dear Father, we bow before you. We thank you for all of your witnesses, those folks who 
you've commissioned to reflect accurately your love, your mercy, and your grace. And help us to anchor into your words, to sit under or to hear under your words. So we always remember our first love. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.